Our Father, Lord, we thank you for this place. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to uh, hear it and to study it and to know it, to hear and to study and to know you. Lord, we ask that we might better understand you now and that we might better understand your son and the things he came and did and made available for us. In Jesus' name, amen. About a month ago, I was down in Colombia, and I was thinking about that as Brother Mark was praying, and he said, we know not those things that we should pray for, and that is certainly scriptural, but there's a number of things that the scriptures do tell us explicitly to pray for. It also tells us that one of the means of prayer is through the Spirit, and I don't want to um, belabor that because there were a few of you with us there a month ago, but I think it's worth remembering that Jesus in Luke when giving what we often call the Lord's Prayer, the Luke version of it, the culmination of that conversation was to implore us to pursue and to pray for more of the Spirit, that we might be prepared to do those things that we so desire to do, that we might understand the Word better, that we might manifest God's work in the world better, that we might pray more properly and more in line with God's will, because God made it very clear that whatever we ask for, will be given us. But there's an obvious caveat there, right? If we ask for someone to be murdered, I think that there's a good chance we're not going to get our prayers answered. And I think that's one far end extreme. And then all those things which are violating God's commandments, God simply cannot do and cannot give us. But those things which are in line with his commandments, he's made it very clear, are given to us in abundance. This word is evidence of that. How much of it we have and how much of it he's made clear through it is more than we can wrap our heads around. It's more than we have time to study if we were to truly dedicate our entire lives to it. And I think that when heaven and earth passes away and this world is is gone, this word is the thing that will stand and that we'll have the opportunity to study through all eternity. Now, eternity is an interesting subject. When you pray, I think it's important to remember that God is not ransomed by time the way that you are. So you might say, to yourself, well, my prayers are of no importance. They probably don't go very far. They probably don't mean very much. But God is eternal, which means you can pray for but a moment, whispering to yourself as Hannah did when she was praying for a son in the temple, and God can consider it literally for all of eternity because all time is his. So consider what you say diligently when you pray, but remember that it is heard by a being that is an order of magnitude more powerful than anything your mind can comprehend. Now, when you bear that in mind, you should consider, and I'd like to look at John 14, with that as the backdrop, remembering the greatness of God, the power of God, not just eternity, but all things. Creation was spoken into existence. It's not even something he had to lay his hands on to do. In John chapter 14, Verse 22, it says, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Now this is a mystery. It's a deep mystery. How is it that he will manifest himself unto us, his disciples in this particular case, and those of us who are his elect and not to the world? It's a good question. It's one maybe we should sit down and think about. And consider on our own, how is it that God is going to do this? How is it that we've seen this? Now, we're going to have the answer right now, but that doesn't mean that the question is without merit. We should consider the depth and the magnitude of this mystery, how he can shroud, as he said he would do in the Old Testament in Isaiah, that he would stop their ears and blind their eyes so that they cannot see and cannot repent. How is it that he chose to separate, despite giving the same words to all people, despite giving the same glory of creation to all men to see? How is it that all men can see the same glorious sky, and yet some can hide themselves from their creator, whose glory they have all fallen short of, and some can be stricken dumb and not know what to say in fear and trembling of their creator, desperately crying out to Jesus? Well, Jesus answered this question. He said, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. If a man love me, he will keep my words. He will keep my words. And consider what Jesus means when he says that. Does that mean that you've got them written down and kept in a safe place? Everything that he said is kept on a shelf in your house? I think it's safe to say that a great many people have done that. 
with this right here. And I have his words, and they keep them in their house. Does that mean that having a Bible in your house is a sign that you love him? And more importantly, it is evidence that he will come and make his place. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. And we begin to see a bit of the unfolding of the plan of creation that God, Jesus, who you know very little about personally except that the Father sent him. He said, I say nothing of myself. It's amazing just how little we know about Jesus, how much we know about the Father, and yet how little of our time and thought goes to the Father despite all of Jesus' urgings. And yet he said that their abode, the Father's and the Son and the Holy Ghost, will be with us if we keep and hold to and cling to, like a lyric of a song that turned our mind and opened up our eyes, that we cling to these things, to cling to his words. He says, These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'd like to consider again what God is leaving with us and what he is promising here. He promises to make his abode with us. He promises to give his peace with us, to us. And what is that evidence? What is that commandment that God would give us that we would hold fast to? Well, there's a great many of them. We should hold fast to all his sayings. But just before this, in John 13, when Jesus was again saying he's only going to be with us for a little while, that he would only be walking on the earth as his disciples for a little. Now imagine how downcast, how sad that their hearts must have been to find out that this Jesus, who they had trusted, who they thought would be their salvation, who they thought would fix their government, who they thought would fix all of the worldly problems around them, who they thought would end the poverty in their time, who they thought would re-elevate Israel back to its proper place in the earth, showing forth the glory of God through that country and its goodness. But alas, he told them he was going to leave. But then he didn't leave them without this. He said, the end of John 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And in the book, in the, this is the book of John, but in, one of the, in the letters of John, John refers to this in interesting ways. He says, a new commandment, and yet not a new commandment. Because this is actually an old commandment, isn't it? And Jesus, when answering what were the most important commandments, he said that you love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, strength, and that you love, the other, the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And we call that the golden rule now. I don't know what you would call the, the uh, loving your God rule. Maybe you would call that the platinum rule or the diamond rule or something like that. But there must be an order of elevation, right? We first should be loving God. But what is love as it's defined in the scriptures? Is it an emotion? Is it synapses of the mind? Is it a general feeling that happens when um, lovers touch hands? Is, is that the final end of love? I don't think so. I think that when in Peter, Peter gives exhortation to men who most often in the scriptures need to be reminded to love their wives. This struck me quite a bit about 10 years ago when I was going through the process of trying to... Um, Relook at my soon-to-be bride in a way that is fitting of her state as being a daughter of the High King, I realized I did not know how properly to love. But it says in 1 Peter 3, and this comes after an exhortation to the women as well, so I'm not just coming down on you men, but it says... Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. There's a lot in that verse. There might be an entire sermon in that verse. But what it says is, in different places, husbands are exhorted to love. And I would submit that this is saying the exact same thing. It says, dwell with them according to love, or dwell with them according to knowledge. I would submit that loving someone is truly about understanding them. See, when God says that he loves us, he makes it very clear how deeply he understands us. 
He doesn't just understand our best attributes, as young lovers might often do, only seeing the good things, and then as the relationship continues on, they begin to notice these zits and warts and the other things, and then they may uh, reconsider their current situation. But true love is knowing someone through and through, the good and the bad. And in the case of God, our God who loved us, it is seeing the good and the bad and then doing everything necessary, up to and including sacrificing his only beloved son, that that might be repaired in us and that we might have all the good in us to give to him and that we might no longer have responsibility for the bad. That is the love of God manifested in earth to us And that is the same love that we're called to give one to another. Whenever I'm here, I always think of this song. James Rourke always would call it. 95, My Dearest Friends. And I'm condemned very often when when I hear it because I realize how little I ask you. How you are. How oft I've seen the flowing tears and heard you tell your hopes and fears. Your hearts with love seem to flame, which makes me hope we'll meet again. He mourning souls in sad surprise. Jesus remembers all your cries. Oh, taste his grace in all that land. We'll no more, we'll no more take the parting hand. That grace which we hope to taste in that land is here manifested in this place through you. In this and by this, shall all men know that ye are his disciples, if ye have love one to another. If you love him, you will keep his words. Your father will love you. And we, meaning the father and the son and the spirit, will come to him and make our abode in him. For you see, there is unity to be had, an unending unity that can go into and through and unendingly through eternity. And we have a taste of of that heavenly unity now. For what is heaven but to be in the presence of God? What is heaven but to have life and life abundantly? What is heaven but to have true understanding one of another and to be truly understood by your friends and loved ones and to be unashamed? Friendship, as we were talking about yesterday in New York, is an awkward thing. And to know one another is very, very awkward. It is um, why we wear clothes is because of the, the knowledge of our own sin that we are ashamed. We know it and we need it. And yet, this church is here for the explicit purpose of being the pillar and ground of the truth in the world. And this is the truth, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That we might be able to finally again as men, love one another. And that we might finally, as we stop doing that moment in the garden when we ran to in, before his presence, that we might finally be able to love him as he rightly deserves. Thank you for your time. Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4, an Old Testament story, one that we've referenced in the past. want to uh, speak to you this morning for a few minutes about memorials about memorials if you wonder what a memorial is you can travel about 60 miles south of here and as you drive through washington dc you'll see that there's a lot of monuments and they are serving as a reminder or a memorial about something i'm always impressed when i go by the uh, the lincoln memorial or the jefferson monument the washington monument And those large monuments that, as we look at those monuments that have been built, some of them hundreds of years ago, it reminds us of some of the people that have gone before us and their principles and what they stood for. It reminds us of what this nation was established upon. In fact, some of the memorials and monuments that you can travel and look at actually have uh, scriptural verses uh, on them. In fact, uh, recently, a while back, I was in New York and I saw one of the buildings and uh, it was probably 150 years old and it had a portion of a scripture that was on the building. Back when that was built, it might have been fairly common to use scriptures on some of the memorials. But we have a lot of memorials and monuments in our life. 
And one of the memorials or monuments that's in our life that the Lord instructs us to and points us to is the church, is the church. Brother John has talked to us about the the folks that make up the church and the love that we have one to another and the great blessing. I oftentimes think about those that God has blessed us with here at Mount Carmel through the years that are no longer here, that are now with the Lord. And if I dwell on it a lot, I could get discouraged. But I, I attempt to make a conscious decision to not get discouraged because I don't know about you, but when I get discouraged, uh, one of the things that follows right in line with discouragement is uh, paralysis. I am unable to be productive if I'm overcome with discouragement and despair. So by God's grace, I choose not to be discouraged. And those folks that have gone on to be with the Lord, I choose to be thankful for those folks. And I choose to realize that my life is different because God put people in my life to bless my life and that they made a tremendous impact in my life while they were here. I don't spend time regretting that they're not still here. I would become discouraged if I did that. But I thank the Lord for the time that he blessed us to cross paths. Well, in Joshua chapter 3, God tells Joshua. Now, when God tells us something, we really need to listen up. And God speaks to us in a number of ways. God sometimes speaks to us in his word. God sometimes speaks to us when we're hearing a message preached. And I remember hearing Elder Bradley preached and the message was so applicable that I thought in the midst of about 300 people, I thought pretty soon he's going to call my name out. I was so convinced that the message was meant for me. I didn't know about anybody else, but I knew that the message was meant for me. So God sometimes speaks to us through the message. Sometimes God will speak to us through a song. Uh, You get discouraged and you listen to a hymn or you listen to some singing or you come to church and a song will minister to you and it will encourage you. Sometimes God will speak to you when you're praying. God may answer your prayer or give you an impression or an inclination. And so God speaks to us in a variety of ways. And when God speaks to us, we ought to listen. And you'll see what happens right here. Moses had died. Uh, I think Moses lived to be about 120. I remember when uh, Brother Mark and I took uh, Elder Compton to uh, a church meeting and, uh, and Brother, uh, brother um, I can't remember the brother's name that was there, Paul Trautner, Elder Paul Trautner. He's visited here at Mount Carmel. Good brother that preached the gospel for many years. Brother Compton had just turned 102. And he went up to Brother Compton and he said, just think, Brother Compton, In a little over 17 years, you'll be the same age Moses was. (laughs) So Moses lived to be close to 120. Well, Moses had died right here. He'd gone on to be with the Lord. Just think, Sister Perry, in a little over 16 years, will be the same age Moses was. What a blessing. Moses had died, and God called Joshua to lead the Lord's people. And he said, he gives Joshua, in in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he gives him a really good charge. He, he, God charged Joshua to follow the Lord. And he said, you be strong in the Lord. You be of great courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. And he said, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And then Joshua, in turn, after God charges him, he charges the people and encourages the people to follow the Lord. And the Lord was about to lead his people over into uh, Canaan's land. It was a wonderful land. It was a land that's representative of the church of Jesus Christ. It's a land that was filled with many blessings. There was a lot in store for the people as they entered into the land. And Canaan's land is symbolic of the Lord's church and the many blessings that are there. In Joshua chapter 3, it says that Joshua rose up uh, early in the morning. You know, I I just want to drop this little uh, handful of purpose right here. Do you know what? Um, It's just a a real good practice to get up early in the morning. You're going to, I didn't hear too many amens. uh, If you don't get up early in the morning, you're just likely to miss a blessing. Do you know it? 
There's a lot of blessings that God has for people, uh, for his people when they get up early in the morning. If you stay in bed till 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock, you've already missed a half a day's blessings from the Lord. So it's a really good idea to get up early. And it's not what Brother Stephen said. It's what Joshua set the example for us right here. You're going to miss some many blessings if you don't get up early. Joshua got up early in the morning. There were some great blessings that were ahead of them right here. And it says that um, they removed themselves from Shedem to come and came to Jordan. And he and all the children of Israel uh, lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and ye shall go after it. He said, I'm going to give you a sign. And when the ark goes before you, you're to follow. Have you ever made the decision that you went before the Lord went? And you realize that maybe you were ahead of the Lord. We are given the instruction right here that when the Lord directs us forward, that we're to follow the Lord. When the Lord leads us by a cloud of protection or a pillar of fire, that we're to move when the Lord tells us to move. And when the Lord does not move, we're to stay where we are. Well, I want you to see what happened right here. It says that the Lord commanded the people right here. He says, you follow the priest and you follow the ark of the Lord. The ark of the Lord was symbolic of the presence of the Lord. And here's what he says. He says, yet there shall be a space between you about 2000 cubits by measure. And he said, come not near unto it that ye may know the way by which ye must go for ye have not passed this way here to four. What does that just simply mean right here? It means you're about to go someplace that you've never been before. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a comfort zone. Anybody here have a comfort zone? I have a comfort zone. And when I get out of my comfort zone, it makes me uncomfortable. Does it not make you uncomfortable? Well, God says right here, you that are in a comfort zone, I'm about to pull you out of a comfort zone. And he says, you might be a, get a little bit uncomfortable, but he says, you're in for some great and mighty things. You're about to see the hand of God. You're about to experience the miracle of God. And you're coming into a place that you've never been before. Now, I don't know if there's anybody else here like this. I think there's probably a few. But when I get, uh, I don't really enjoy driving at night anymore. I can do it. Um, I can do it. And, and, and I will still do it. And I don't have a big problem with it. But I don't enjoy it. So maybe these young folks like uh, uh, Katie and Grace and, and Danny and all of you, you don't even think about that. But I especially don't mind it if it's someplace that I'm familiar with that I've been before. Amen. But I don't like going somewhere that I've not been before. I can do it and I'll still do it, but I don't enjoy it. Well, right here, he's telling the folks, he said, I'm going to take you to a place that you've not been before. I'm going to show you some experiences that you've not had before. But he said, you've got to follow me. Now, I wonder what would have happened if some of those folks had said, you know, I don't think we're going to go today. They'd have missed a great blessing. I heard someone say one time, well, about a really good church meeting. They said, well, every time I'm going, they have great meetings. Well, you know, a really good way to keep that from happening is pray for the meetings and then try to present yourself a living sacrifice. Let's look what he says right here. This gets so exciting what happens right here. The folks got up early. They went to see the hand of the Lord, the, the working of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, he said, sanctify yourselves. For he said, for tomorrow the Lord will do Wonders among you. Now, really, we have experienced some great wonders and miracles here at Mount Carmel through the years. 
God has blessed Mount Carmel in a mighty way. I don't think Mount Carmel's a good church. I think it's a great church. I do. And I think the hand of God has been upon Mount Carmel in a mighty way. God has raised up young men to preach the gospel. And he's blessed us to witness God's hand in raising up these young men. God's blessed us with wonderful families that, that uh, had bunches of children. And we had the blessing of being able to be around all those little kids. God's blessed us with a host of older folks. Not too many older folks here now, a few, but not too many. But he's blessed us with a whole bunch of older folks that blessed our lives and touched our lives that are now with the Lord. So we can look back and we can see that God has blessed us and had wonders among us. And we could be thankful and we don't deserve any more blessings going forward. God's already given us more blessings than what we deserve. But he says right here, Joshua gets up and he tells the people, he says, I want you to get ready because you're going to see the hand of God and you're, God's going to do some wonders among you this day. And you're going to be able to witness it and you're going to be able to participate in it. And it's going to be an exciting time. So let's look at what happens. It says, Joshua spake to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day I'll begin to magnify thee. This is God telling Joshua to encourage Joshua. He said, This day I'll begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, I'll be with thee also. God said, I'm about to uh, show my power, Joshua, and the people are going to know that I am God, that, that I'm blessing you and that I'm blessing the people. And he said, thou shalt command the people that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, when ye are come to the brink of the water, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said, come, and Joshua said to the children of Israel, come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, hereby shall ye know that the living God is among you and that he without fail will uh, drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the uh, uh, all those ites. He's driving out all of the enemies from among them. And you know, that should just remind us that, that the battle oftentimes is the Lord's. And if we look to the Lord, that he takes care of the enemy oftentimes. It doesn't mean that we're not to do something. We're to look to the Lord. We're to pray to the Lord. We're to read God's word. We're to claim his promises, claim his scriptures. But ultimately, we need to be reminded that the battle is the Lord's. I've been having difficult time dealing with my father, my natural father. I, as you get older, things change, and I'm sure he had a difficult time dealing with me when I was young. But I need to remind myself that ultimately the battle's the Lord's and that the Lord is in charge. So when I'm talking to you and reminding you of these promises, I'm really reminding myself of them as well. I am. Anybody ever had trouble with difficult parents? Okay, I'm so glad misery loves company. Um, well, the Lord says that he'll take care of it. He will. He will. They come up to the river. The waters are overflowing the banks of the river. And God is about to show his power in a mighty, mighty way. And as they get to the brink of the river, it says that uh, in verse 12, Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel and out of every tribe of man, and it shall come to pass that as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, that the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan and that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the, the waters that come down from above and they shall stand on a heap and it shall come to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people that as they bear the ark and they were come down uh, unto Jordan and the feet of the priest that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water for Jordan overflowed its banks all that time of harvest. It's 
says, the waters which came down from above stood and rose up uh, and heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, uh, failed and were cut off. And the people passed right over against Jericho. And it says, the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. What does that mean? Over all the dry ground until the people uh, were passed clean over Jordan. What does that mean? It means that God did a miracle and the people not only saw it, but the people got to experience it firsthand. The people witnessed what God was doing and they got to be a part of it. They got to be a witness to it. All of a sudden, the waters were stayed and the waters were parted. And it says that as the priest, as their soles of their feet uh, touched the brink of the water, that the waters uh, uh, were stayed on each side. Uh, now, that was a miracle and a mighty working of God. And it says that the people began to walk through and they walked through on dry ground. Wouldn't you say that's a miracle? Now, I don't know about you, but when I drive down to the Fort McHenry or Baltimore Harbor Tunnel, once in a while I'll be driving through. And especially if we get into a traffic jam and we're backed up and we're there for a while, I get to thinking, I sure hope it doesn't spring a leak. Brother Malcolm, who helped design those tunnels, told me that that's not very likely because he said you go, went down way below the water. And so I, he knew he helped design those tunnels. And uh, Sister Jane was telling Brother Mark and I about going to a, uh, 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 an acknowledgement years later where they acknowledged the work that Brother Don had done in building those, uh, those tunnels. But can you imagine the thoughts that those folks must have had it says that they went through and they went through quickly. And at first when I read it, I thought, well, I can understand why. You know, if you look up here and there's a body of water on each side. But you know why they went through quickly? It's because they were excited about where they were going. God had given them promises that they were going in to a land. It was a prosperous land that was flowing with milk and honey. And they were excited about the land. But God did a miracle. Do you know what? I believe that God still does miracles today. I believe he does. God still works miracles in the day in which we live. A miracle is something that's extraordinary to us. Do you know when God touches a sinner by his grace. That's a miracle. It is. God's still in the business of doing miracles. Things that we can't explain by his power. Well, it comes on down and we'll just briefly go through chapter four right here. Because I want you to, I want to hit a couple of points about the memorials. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this you right here you can go through and read chapter 4 but God told Joshua he said Joshua I want you to build a memorial actually he built two God told him one was in Jordan and it was high enough that it could be seen but then each one of the 12 tribes were told to pick up one of the rocks Now it had to be Pretty big, and they were to carry it up on their shoulder, and they went to the place where they where they stayed that night. And God said, "I want you to build a memorial." And the purpose of this memorial is so that when your children come along and they look at these stones and they say, "What do these stones mean?" Why is it that there's 12 stones that are put up? What, what, what are they there for? It says that they're there unto this day. So there's a memorial to this event right here. 
And God said, these stones serve as a memorial, as a reminder to point for you to tell your children about this great miracle from the Lord. I, I enjoy, I look forward to our communion service. Our communion table, I don't know if ours says it, but some do, say, do this in remembrance of me. Why do we partake of the communion service? It doesn't pay for any of our sins. No. The blood of Christ did that. But every single time that we enter into the communion service, it points us back. And it reminds us of what Jesus Christ did. It points us to his body. It points us to his blood and the sacrifice that he had upon the cross. It also, we're a little bit old fashioned here and I like it. We also participate in the feet washing service that's taught in John chapter 13. And that reminds us of something. What does that remind us of? It reminds us that the greatest position and role to have in the church and as a Christian is that of a servant. That we're to have a servant's heart all throughout the year. It serves as a good reminder. We were at Columbia Church uh, last week and... and, uh, Mention this, and not only is Columbia representative of this, but other other uh, church buildings around. Columbia was started in 1792. George Washington was the president when this church was started, and God has blessed the church to continue. Sometimes it's prospered, maybe get up to 40 or 50 in attendance, and sometimes it's down to two or three. But God has preserved and prospered the church since 1792. When I go there, when I go to Hopewell, when I go to Wells Track, who started in 1698, folks came over from Wells as a constituted body. And God has blessed those churches to continue for two, three hundred years. It has to be only by the hand of God. But those buildings, even though they're not the church, the church is the body. The church building is symbolic of something. It serves as a memorial. Maybe to the lives of those that have gone before But it also serves as a memorial to what they embraced and what they stood for. Each of the 12 stones were representative of uh, one of the tribes. And, And I think, not that we have to confine it to 12 stones, but, but as I, I, I think about this occasionally, I think the 12 stones uh, could surely be representative of a memorial in the church of Jesus Christ. Here's a few. You can take them and meditate on them. You can dive into it. You can study it out. But here's some of the stones that you would find as a memorial. So that when your children ask, when Camden asks, when Brother John's children ask, and Brother Jamie's, you can say, This is what it's representative of. This is what those stones stand for. Number one, one of the stones that you're going to find in the church is that God is sovereign. We believe in a God that he's in control. Aren't you glad he is? When you look at many areas of your life and you say it's out of control, aren't you glad there's somebody that's got it in control? I'm not saying that he controls everything, but God is in control. God has all power. I don't believe that we're robots. I don't. 
but I believe that God is in control. We believe that God is a sovereign God. Some, of, some more stones that we'll mention. Brother Steve covered this the other uh, Wednesday night, I understand, and, and we'll just touch on them. The Apostles' Doctrine as a little simple group of folks we have to, we're dependent on, and we have to run over to Acts chapter 2 and look at the format of the simple church because we don't have a whole lot to offer other than what is in Acts chapter 2 about the format of the church. And here's what he says. He talks about the apostles' doctrine, about breaking bread and prayer. Other places it talks about singing. The apostles' doctrine, the first one. One stone, it was a big stone for me. It was a stumbling block for me when I first heard about it. it. Was the stone of total depravity. Meaning that there's none of us that are good before God. There's none of us that have any ability before God until he visits us and plants his spirit within us. You see, I really thought... And I had the misconception that we all had some good in us. But we're not good in and of ourselves until God deals with us. Says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We don't go seeking after God. We don't go pursuing God because we're totally dead in trespasses and sins until he quickens us with his Holy Spirit and gives us spiritual life. Unconditional election to you. Unconditional election. That was another really heavy stone for me. I thought that God gave everybody a chance. I really did. But you know what? God's not a God of chance. God is not a God of luck. Don't have to wish God any luck. God is a God of purpose. And God purposed to save a people and he purposed to save them from before the foundation of the world. And what God purposed to do, he did. The blood upon the cross of Calvary that was shed was not shed in vain. There was not one drop of blood that was not uh, uh, shed for a purpose of saving his people. And by the way, the family of God is a big family. A lot of folks that have a problem with uh, unconditional election think that it's just therefore no more. That's not the way it is with God. God says, I've got a big family. He says, I've got a people that you don't even know about. I've got a people out of every nation, kindred, and tongue. I've got a people that's as vast as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. That's a pretty big family. It is. God's got a big family. But God purposed. To save his people. Limited atonement. God reaches his people with his power in his spirit. And all that the father gives to him shall come to him. He quickens them with spiritual life. Irresistible grace. You can't run away from God. Talk to the apostle Paul about that. Paul was going away from God, yet God knew where Paul was all the time. And God apprehended Paul when Paul was not pursuing God and he turned him around. He did a work. And when God does a work on us, he does it from the inside out. Amen. He does. Brother John just went all around my favorite verses there in John chapter 14, where he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says the Holy Spirit is around you, but it also goes down to say that the Holy Spirit is in you. Such great verses right there. Irresistible grace. When God plants his spirit within, he gives spiritual life and he makes alive. And we're the great beneficiaries of it. And then the preservation of the saints. God is not going to lose a single one of his children. He's going to take every one of us home with him to be with him. So those are some of the stones. Some of those stones got a little bit heavy for me when I first discovered them. But I tell you. I enjoy remembering those wonderful memorials. Another memorial that is special in God's church is that of hospitality. 
Did you know that we're encouraged and instructed to be hospitable to those among us and around us? I honestly believe I could travel from here to Texas, maybe to California, and I would find a home among God's people all along the way. I believe that I would, and I believe you would too. That of hospitality. Do you know that another stone is that should be representative of Mount Carmel and God's church is that it should be a house of prayer. It should be. We ought to be a praying people. We should. We should be praying that God would direct our path, that God would open doors, that he would add to the flock, that he would bless and raise ministers to preach the gospel. We ought to be a praying people. Another stone that is, is a wonderful stone that, that oh, I, I love. This is, it almost doesn't seem like a stone. It's such a, it's such a blessing. But in, in, the, in the Lord's church is that of, of singing hymns. Oh, I love to hear the singing of hymns. I love the fast songs, the slow songs, the minor songs, and those that are not so minor. I love the hymn singing, and it's a great blessing. Did you know that I, I've been maybe in different areas through the years and scan the radio dial and all of a sudden hear an old Baptist hymn and all of a sudden I knew that there was going to be a message that was around and oftentimes it was Elder Bradley that was on the radio and you recognize that sound and it ministers to you and it blesses your soul the hymn singing a couple more stones that we hold to our church is just simply a simple group of, of worshiping God and praying, singing, and preaching. And we believe that what we're to preach, even though we might share some experiences along the way, some of our personal or maybe some of yours or others or those that have gone before, that our primary message is God's Word. We don't have anyone email us an outline of a sermon. We ask God to direct the thoughts of the minister. And if you're praying and the minister's praying, it's amazing how that God can bring the two together in the preached word. Another stone is we believe that this Bible is the inspired Word of God. We believe that this is our rule of faith and practice and that, that God is the one that inspired it. And the word inspiration just simply means that, that God breathed His Word. And this is our basis for our worship, for our format, and for the messages. Another stone that we that we embrace and that we believe, we believe that, and this is even among some folks that claim to be Christians, fewer and fewer embrace the concept that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin birth. We believe it was a miraculous birth and that Jesus Christ was born and conceived by the Holy Spirit. And for us, it's a miracle. It's not happened since. It didn't happen before. But we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Mount Carmel, Columbia, Southampton, Wilmington, Black Rock, Old Carroll should represent some memorials. It should represent some stones. And those stones of remembrance should point us toward Jesus Christ. If we picked up a pebble along the way and it doesn't point us to Jesus Christ, we need to toss that away. But if we've got some memorials in our life that point us toward Jesus Christ, May we be blessed to pass it down to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. I'm a big fan of grandparents. 
I am. I am so thankful for grandparents. They're a great blessing. Most grandparents. No, all grandparents are. My grandparents were used by God to point me in the direction of the Lord's people and the Lord's church. And I'll always be thankful that when some of these stones that I've mentioned to you were questions in my life, I could go to my grandmother, my grandfather, and I could say, what does this mean? I remember the first stone of total depravity that I heard about. I didn't understand it. And I thought, I wonder if they've ever heard of this concept. And, and I remember sitting down with my grandparents and they took the scriptures and they went through and they explained to me what it meant. May God bless us to use the memorials in our life to tell the children and the grandchildren. As I reminded the folks at Columbia, might be a surprise to you, but we're not going to always be here. We're not. We're here for a little season. And then hopefully we've gone to be with the Lord. But while we're here, may God bless us to establish and encourage and share some of the memorials that have been passed down to us that we can in turn pass down to our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. So that when we're gone and folks drive by or visit or worship at Mount Carmel, they can say, what does that stand for? What does it mean? And you can share it with them over again. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.